Welcome to this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week we're talking about Verdi's Aida, a piece that debuted in 1871 in Egypt, in Cairo. Indeed. And this is uh, this is the opera that when people mention grand opera that most people think of. And it's really only because of one scene and one scene only. That's Act Two, Scene Two, better known as the Triumphal Scene. And this is Verdi composing in the French grand opera style, actually. And this is sort of a characteristic of French grand opera, a big crowd scene with multitudes of chorus on stage, a huge band in the pit, lots of extras. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille proportions. Yes, yes. You know, and, you know, opera companies, will, they'll trot elephants onto the stage and we'll have dancing bears on roller skates. You name it, they'll throw it up there in Aida. But <laughs> the funny thing is with Aida is that Really, this is the only scene that's like that. The whole rest of the opera, with, well, there's one other scene that has has a chorus and has some, some more people on stage, but the majority of the opera is composed of scenes between one, two, or three people. Now, granted, it's, it's on a grand scale. I mean, Verdi is writing for large voices here. It's a muscular vocal line requiring voices that can cut over a big orchestra and chorus, but still... Most of the opera, just, you know, two or three people on stage having very outsized emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Set in ancient Egypt. Yes. Set this up for us. Who is Aida? Well, Aida is, uh, she is, although unbeknownst to her captor, she's an Ethiopian princess. She Ethiopia African, being the neighboring country. Yeah, she's an African princess who has been enslaved by the Egyptians. Uh, apparently these two nations are, are at war frequently, mm-hmm. and uh, during one uh, warlike excursion, they, they took captive a number of prisoners from Ethiopia, and Aida was one of them. But nobody knows in Egypt that she is actually a princess. And she is uh, in the household of, of the pharaoh and his daughter. And she attends to Omneris, the daughter of the pharaoh, personally. And while in captivity, she has fallen in love, actually, with an Egyptian, and he with her. Uh, This is Radames, who is a a young rising star in the Egyptian army. Captain Uh, of the Guard. Yeah. But there again, because Aida is a slave, they've had to keep their relationship a, a very deep secret. Although Omneris has started to notice that there's something going on there. Because she's in love with Radames herself. Yes, but she doesn't know that it's Radames that Aida is in love with, but she suspects there's something there. So uh, in the first uh, first scene of the opera, she sort of is on a little bit of a fishing expedition to find out what's going on here. Unfortunately, her her suspicions are are confirmed. (laughs) They're quite correct, yes. (laughs) Radames is given command of this attack, this ambush, on Ethiopian forces. There are skirmishes at the border, etc. And Renemus is given this opportunity to shine. To go in there and crush them, <laughs> basically. And Aida then is is now in quite the dilemma because she doesn't know. I mean, who do I hope for? You know, it comes out with a win here. <laughs> you know, there's the man I love, and then there's my father and my people on opposing sides. And she's she's quite torn. Because Renemus doesn't know who she is. He doesn't know that she is the daughter of Correct. the Ethiopian he, Not even king. he knows. Yeah, she's kept it a very, very, very close, closely guarded secret. So, of course, there is this attack, and the Egyptians are triumphant. And that's when we have, in Act 2, the, uh, the triumphal march from Aida, this big uh, celebration. 
outside the uh, the city of Thebes, right. the returning soldiers, and and they bring with them slaves, more prisoners, prisoners of war. One of whom Aida immediately recognizes as her father, and she cries out before she can even stop herself, "My father!" And the Egyptians all kind of her father, you know, my goodness, you know, and there's this reunion, but he very quickly and 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 an aside to her says, "Don't give me away, <laughs> don't let them know that I am Amenazaro, I'm the king." <laughs> then proceeds a, a, a big musical scene in which uh, Aida and her father and the slaves plead for clemency from the Egyptian king. And the result of, of that is that uh, the Ethiopian slaves are still held captive by the Egyptians, but the king, so pleased by Rodimus' leadership, uh, he rewards him by granting him the hand of his daughter in marriage. So <laughs> Anaris is thrilled. <laughs> Rodimus and Aida, not so not much. So much. <laughs> <laughs> Classic dilemma. So how is it resolved? Well, that brings us to Act 3, in which Aida first has this um, huge aria called Opatria Mia, in which she despairs that she will never see her beloved homeland again. And uh, while she's there on the, the banks of the Niles, you know, musing about how she'll never see her homeland again, her father appears. And he guilts her, basically, into putting her country and her people ahead of her own desires and wants. He basically uh, exhorts her to find out from Radames where the Egyptian army will be laying in wait for the Ethiopians. And, you know, basically she, he's asking her to betray Radames. And so he, he goes and secludes himself and Radames shows up. And uh, Aida and, and he have a, a duet then in which she finally does, she does get him to agree to go away with her. And uh, she then asks him, well, what route should we take to avoid the army? And he says, well, they'll be waiting in the pass of Napata. And immediately Amonasor comes out and says, well, that's where we're going to be then <laughs> with my army. Right. And Radames suddenly uh, is just dumbfounded because he's just realized not only has he been betrayed by Aida, but he realizes that Aida's father is none other than Amonasor, the king of the Ethiopians. And he's just you know, racked with guilt at this point. And it, as all of this is happening, Amneris has been overhearing all of this, and she comes out. Amonazro attempts to rush at her with a dagger and is stopped by Radames, who, you know, is trying to, you know, really do some damage control at this point. So Amonazro grabs Aida and, and runs off, and Radames is taken prisoner by the Egyptian guard uh, to be brought to trial for treason. And that takes us to Act 4, where, in fact, he is about to be brought to trial. Amneris has him brought before her, and she offers him, you know, if you'll just renounce Aida and be mine, I'll, I will <laughs> save you. I will save you. And he's, and he's having none of it. He's just going to put his fate in the gods' hands and be honest and, and tell the truth and hope, that, uh, hope for the best. Uh, which unfortunately does not <laughs> transpire. He, he's brought before the priests uh, and the high priest, Ramphus, 
on these these charges of treason, treason. and he he refuses to answer them. He, he he's completely silent every time they ask him a question, and so they uh, they condemn him to death by being entombed alive uh, below the the temple of uh, I believe the temple of Vulcan, which of course is what happens. They throw him in, and as they roll the stone over the uh, the entrance to the tomb. He hears something, <laughs> and lo and behold, Aida has secreted herself in the tomb so that she could be with him and die with him. And as she and Radames sing this achingly beautiful farewell to life, above them, unknowing, is Omneris praying for his soul, not even knowing that Aida is down there with him. A great love story that has uh, ramifications that could echo throughout two kingdoms. What is it about this piece that makes it such a standout, Eric? Whew, well, it's Verdi at the peak of his powers. This comes at the end of what, of what is, is considered his middle period, and it's sort of the bridge into the, the genius of his, his two late period masterpieces, Otello and Falstaff. And, you know, all throughout his career, he's constantly not only evolving as a composer and as a dramatic composer, as a composer of, of dramatically viable works for the musical theater, uh, but he's changing the whole face of opera, basically, from the inside out. And he's going further and further away from, you know, the standard arias that we had in Bel Canto, where we had, you know, the two arias and then, you know, the contrasting styles and... And, you know, nothing happened in, in arias, but they reflected on things. And then in the recitatives, you have action going forward only. Well, he went further than, than anybody except maybe Wagner, who just kind of threw the whole, th <laughs> the whole <laughs> model out and, and, and recreated it. But Verdi worked from within the system to change that so that by the time you get to the late period and by the time you get to Aida, you've got uh, a constantly shifting – um, drama going on, and it's happening within the set pieces. Uh, and only fairly infrequently do you have characters just sort of stop and muse on their feelings. Uh, you have that twice, really, in Aida, with um, Aida's O Patria Mia and Radame's big aria that opens the opera, really, Cereste Aida. But everything else are duets and trios, and there's, um, there's always uh, plot advancement and character development always going on throughout this. And then above all, you've got Verdi's genius for melody and for music that will, you know, just sticks with you like nobody else's. Well, Eric, it's good to have you back from your vacation. <laughs> Thanks. It's good to be back. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening. <laughs>